Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation 17. So several weeks ago we were in Revelation 16, and we looked at the bowl judgments part two. Now this is interesting, if we could put up the image. This is important because, you know, if you're a skeptic of the things of the, of the Lord, remember, this stuff was written 2,000 years ago. Even the alignments and the geopolitics, the alignment of the nations, nobody could know this. Some of these nations didn't even exist. They were territories, so to speak. They were nomadic people groups. But we're going to be in uh, 17 today, but 16 is very important for us to jump into 17. And in 16, the Euphrates, probably the Tigris too, get dried up. The angel is part of that. And the, the eastern countries come into this area of Armageddon and they, you know, they settle for the last battle, this big battle, right? You've heard Armageddon, all these biblical battles. And I talked about the Asian cooperative dialogue, that there's three countries in the Asian cooperative dialogue, which are, and this is only since 2002, by the way, China, Russia, and Iran. Interestingly enough, they're all east of the Euphrates. When that dries up, they'll be able to move their troops westward a lot easily. What have we been hearing in the news the last few months? China, Russia, and Iran. So you can take that down. Just... You know, for the skeptics, I'm just wetting your whistle a little bit for what's coming. There's a lot that we got to cover. I'm only going to cover six verses. Today we're going to cover uh, the harlot and the beast. Who are these people? Are they people? Are they symbols? Uh, next Sunday we're going to look at the harlot destroyed. And if you stay with us long enough, you will understand geopolitics. You will understand where the world is going. The Lord wants his people to know what's coming and that we can be settled with it, to also know that God is in control. No matter how scary things may look, the Lord's got this. If he can tell us the future from 2,000 years ago, certainly he can keep us secure and safe for those that are in Christ. And that's definitely an incentive to come to Jesus. If you stay with us through Revelation 17 through 18, which is going to be the next few Sundays, you're going to really understand what's going on in the world. You're going to understand too, right, the supposedly new administration that may be coming in and all the cabinet people that are put on and this big aggressive globalist push, what does it mean? Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? If it's good or bad, why is it good or bad? Right? So I'm going to take you from what you just read in the news and then I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to put them side by side. And we've never seen this alignment before. You've heard some cults say, oh, the end of the world is 2011 and, you know, they, 2000 and all this kind of weird stuff. And Jesus forbid us as ministers to ever set dates. So those are false teachers. Obviously, we're still here. So I'm certainly not going to tell you when the world is going to come to an end, so to speak, and the Lord's new kingdom is going to set up. He knows those things. But I'm just looking forward. Listen, I enjoy my life here, but I'm also looking forward to what he's going to do. Um, very important, too, for Christians to know their Bibles so that we can be discerning when we see these things come to pass. We're going to look at this in three parts. So jumping into Revelation 17, again, only six verses. 
says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me. This is the apostle John speaking, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written. These are all capitals. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So one out of three is who is the harlot? The woman, right? And the beast. It's kind of a demented version of the children's fairy tale, Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) But who, who are these people? Well, we're going to start with the foundation today. And every Sunday, you're going to see we're going to build on it. Like the foundation, then the frame, like sort of a house. And then all the things that come with it, and then the roof, etc., so basically the woman and, and this woman and the beast is this politico spiritual aspect of the Antichrist. Here, let me make that more understandable or palpable. The coming great globalist, this charismatic globalist who's coming, who's probably alive today. And this is this politico spiritual aspect of his kingdom. Next chapter, we're going to look at the politico economic impact of this. Now, Remember, when we look at, so let's, I'm going to switch back and forth to the world, right? Um, you heard about the Paris Accord that we pulled out of. We're going back supposedly into the Paris Accord. We know about, I've talked a lot about the United Nations. I've talked about uh, NATO. United Nations and NATO have a heck of a lot of firepower. They choose not to use it so much. But you see these regionalist and globalist organizations building. The Paris Accord is another um, really global bureaucracy. And I got to be honest with you, government is, in, I worked for government for 25 years. It's inherently inefficient. And as you go higher in government, it becomes more inefficient and bloated and there's graft and corruption and all that stuff. If you look at some of these global entities, they're very inefficient. So do I, do I hate globalism? Not in the sense if globalism was just designed to stop war, you know, stop world hunger, stop sex trafficking. I'm all for globalism. Unfortunately, they're not very good at those things. There's not a lot of money in it. As a matter of fact, years ago, we had um, a gentleman who came up to me after service, after watching when I taught some things on the UN and such, and he said, um, I work for the UN. And he said, I wouldn't say this publicly, but you're spot on about everything. So I don't know if he still works there. But this is what happens. We need to understand this. See, the Antichrist will sit on this or this charismatic globalist, he will sit on this infrastructure, this foundation to to bring him to power. And then, unfortunately, the world is going to be thrust into sorrow. The angel is showing John this symbolic and fearsome harlot and how she's going to be destroyed. So a few things about the harlot. Number one, the harlot is also religious Babylon. We've heard of Babel. We've heard of Babylon. What do those things mean? Well, understand this, that she represents sort of a religion or religious entity without God, 
right? She represents, she's a symbol. She represents a worship vacuum. And when there's a worship vacuum, as the song, I think, was written in the 60s, um, you got to worship something, right? Some people worship themselves. You can see it in their behavior, in their selfishness. But when there's a worship vacuum, anything can be worshipped. You look at politics, you know. Some people are so, they don't have God, they don't have Jesus, and they're so into politics that their mental state changes. They can crash whether their candidate wins or loses, right? When we worship Christ, everything gets balanced out. Globalism can become a cult. Many things can become cultic. Important. So what this dictator does is he uses this false religious system without God to get the world on board. When I came to Christ some 20-something years ago, I said, how could the whole world follow one man? How stupid. Like, I didn't get it. Well, now I'm starting to get it. You know, I mean, I, I believe God. But you're starting to see world events catch up with prophecy. It's very powerful. Hitler used... Um, religion, false religion, half the churches went with the Nazis. They weren't sure, but he used it. He used a spirituality to get them on his side. Half the church went, we, we hate this guy. You know, this guy's bad news. You've got to watch out for him. Um, communism over the years did the same thing. How many people, raise your hand, have ever heard of Jush? Jush? Anyone ever heard? Wow. Nobody. Jush is the North Korean religion of the communist state. So in Jush, if you're a North Korean, now there are Christians and they're heavily persecuted in North Korea. But the state religion and worship is of the Communist Party. That's Jush. Look it up. I do a lot of homework before I, I do these uh, teachings. The beast, the Antichrist, uses the harlot, a religiosity for a time, because she helps to unify this globalist system and it helps the Antichrist gain control. So even religious and spiritual people can get sucked in. You know, we have a lot of people that don't know, you know, in the world that don't know God at all, and they're just political animals. Well, they'll be easy to bring on board, but then you got to get the, the spiritual people on board too. And that's what this system does. Okay. Remember the woman and the beast, they're symbols. It's a metaphor. If you, if John saw the woman on the beast, he wouldn't go, Oh, that looks like the lady in the village down the street. Remember, she's a symbol. She's not an actual person. The beast is the Antichrist, inspired by Satan. It's a symbol, but it's both. And it's a learning curve to understand this stuff. It, it, it's very heavy. What's Babylon? Well, Babylon is a place. It's actually in Iraq. When our soldiers went in many years ago, they took pictures of the ruins in Babylon. They brought the pictures back. You see American soldiers in front of the ruins of the Great Wall of Babylon in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Incredible. Archaeology, paleography, science all catches up with the scripture eventually. We're seeing things that are happening in our decade that are mind-blowing when it comes to prophecy. The people said 50 years ago it'll never happen. Well, it's happening. It's happening. So Babylon is a place, but it's also a spiritual political system of the world in rebellion against God. And we see this in Genesis 11. We see it in Psalm 2. We see it all throughout the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. So let me touch on Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, there was a tower that was built by mankind. 
The earth had one language. Now it's funny because God scattered the languages and you could see the difference between the Eastern languages and the Western languages. And there's, there's, um, Oh, gee, there's uh, parallels. There's, there's things that you can see that you can see they all eventually were one at some point, and they fractured and splintered off. I studied a little bit of French, Spanish, Italian. You could see the roots are very similar, the conjugation of verbs. And when you go to the Eastern language, you see some similarities as well. Goes, all goes back to the Bible, folks. There was one language. However, when the people in their earliest form of globalism tried to get to heaven and build ziggurats, look up that word, Z-I-G-G-U-R-A-T. They're also in the deserts, in ruins. And they were the ancient skyscrapers. They built these foundations with stairs, and, and they, they built them for, for their, without computers and hydraulics. It was amazing how they built these ancient skyscrapers. They went up very high. They were ziggurats. They're still in the desert. So this was, uh, I get very excited. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is just, this is just so powerful. I'm just pulling everything together for you. Topography, geography, it's all coming together. So the the ziggurats were built, and mankind decided he's going to get to heaven without God. And God's like, yeah, no, it's not going to happen like that. So he confounded them, and he he confounded their languages. There was enough uh, degrees of separation in their languages where they started to now scatter. Check this out. So the people now scatter in Genesis 11, right? The ancient globalists. Then they start to come together in families, in clans with a C. The clans started to spread out into regional... uh, Let me back up for a second, strike that. The clans spread out and gathered into nationalism or nations. The nations moved to regionalism. You see that with Babylon Empire, right? Medo-Persians. We don't see much regionalization anymore Back then, because gunpowder was eventually invented and high-powered weapons for those, for those days, so people were able to fend off these world rulers. So you had nations, borders, and armies, right? We're starting to see regionalization again, aren't we, with the European Union? I talked about the African Union. I talked about the Asian uh, cooperative dialogue, right? All that stuff's coming together. And then from there, we go to globalism. And what happens with globalism? Mankind goes right back to the Tower of Babel, getting to God, or back, scratch that, getting to heaven, becoming your own God without God and without Jesus Christ. You see how we just went full circle. So when you ask me why I have a problem with globalism, I'm going to tell you the reason why I do, because I know where it ends, and it doesn't end well. However, the Lord's kingdom comes after that. He just shows human nature that it just doesn't work without him. And we have to learn the hard way because we're stubborn. However, if we're in Christ, the Lord calls us home before all that stuff happens. Babel was associated with rebellion, idolatry, um, equality with God, man equals God. Again, Babylon was a real ancient 6th century regional empire who's now in ruins. But the spirit of Babylon never died. If we can put up First John 2.18, and this is where we get a diachronistic look, in other words, throughout time, of these concepts, right? First John 2.18, the disciple John says, he's speaking to his followers, little children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come by which we know it is the last hour. Now, to God, uh, you know, day is of a thousand years. He, you know, we think a thousand years is a long time. God sees it as a drop in the bucket because he's outside of time. 
So the spirit of the Antichrist has always been in the earth. The Caesars, if you ever studied Nero, satanically inspired, sick people, sick, sick people. No doubt they had the spirit of Antichrist. It was Caesar worship in Rome, if you studied ancient civilizations. And then we think, oh, that was such a long time ago. But we've also seen it in the 20th century with the rise of dictators and fascists. They have a spiritual worship me type of element to it. It almost becomes a deity complex. However, the Antichrist is coming. And he's that quintessential picture of all the Antichrists that have ever came before. And that's the same thing with Babylon. The spirit of Babylon never died. However, the judgment of Babylon comes in chapter 17 and 18. So let's look at the descriptors, two out of three. The harlot is described. The harlot is described. If we could put up the, the image, right? And it's just an artist rendering. We don't know that that's what she looked like. But verse one, she sits on many waters. And in the scripture, certain symbols come up throughout the Old and the New Testament. That means she presides over many nations and people. Her spiritual poison against God is spread throughout all the earth. You know, the hatred for anything God, Jesus, or the word of God. You ever see whether world leaders or even, <laughs> even some mayors and governors in the United States, their disdain for the things of Christianity. Jesus, you know, I mean, you can talk about the new age, you could talk about general things, generalities, but when you mention Jesus, you can almost see their, their, I read body language, their face, their countenance, the way they speak, the octaves start to change. There's something inside them where they viscerally can't stand anything of God. And you're seeing this in, in world leaders, uh, unfortunately, and even some local leaders. Verse two, the kings of the earth, the world leaders committed fornication. So in other words, Ideally, we, men and women, throughout the ages, diachronistically, throughout time, should be married to God in a spiritual sense. It's, it's a metaphor. However, this false religion, this false spirituality, the kings of the earth and the peoples will commit fornication with her. There's no true marriage with this spirituality because it's demonic, uh, but, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a genuine thing. So he uses... Uh, metaphors to understand this. Um, you know, you've heard the expression, and I think it's more of a metaphor than anything that, and people will say this, I sold my soul to the devil. Well, I hope you're proud of yourself, you know what I'm saying? Um, here's the, the deal with that. Hell is not run by Satan. Satan is going to suffer with those that he's deceived. So it's not going to be a pretty place for anybody. It's not going to be a place to party. I've had friends that have alluded to that. I'm like, bro, you, you need to really understand this before you leave the earth because this is not a fun place. Trust me. You've been deceived. Um, even you hear some politicians that pretend to be religious and they've kind of bought into this, this Babylon because they don't really have a relationship with God, but they're doing it to win an election. And then when the election's over, they go back to what they were doing, worshiping of themselves or their power or whatever. It isn't just the leaders, if we read this, but it's the inhabitants of the earth. The, the common person is drunk with wine. Now, again, this wine is not real wine that she's holding in her cup. It's a metaphor for deception, right? This for, and the only, the only immunity to this is today is trust in Christ, because the Bible says, the Apostle Paul, that the scales, sort of like spiritual cataracts, fall from our eyes and we start to see things for what they are. So we're not deceived anymore when we come to Christ. 
listen, I went to a great uh, state college for four years. I, I was highly educated. I did very well in school. Um, but until I came to Christ, I didn't understand how the world events were unfolding. Understand? I was a police officer. I investigated. I was involved in really neat things as a cop. I learned a lot. But I still couldn't see with spiritual eyes until I became a born-again believer in the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit. Karl Marx said, the father of modern-day division, including our country, he said that religion is the opiate of the masses. How many people have heard that statement? And it's an interesting point because he observed not true Christianity, but a powerful church, a state church, was able to control people by telling them, you're going to go to hell if you don't give us money, you don't do this, you don't do that. So Karl Marx rightly observed the world and how people were blinded and kept almost in a, in a stupor from religion that tried to control them. Now, this is, it has nothing to do with a relationship with Christ. Christ is not a religion. It's a relationship with God. However, Marx, Karl Marx, found his own false god of class warfare and identity politics, which is something we see today. There's an interesting book that was written. It says, the title of the book is Seven Men That Rule the World from the Grave. Charles Darwin and Karl Marx are two of the men mentioned out of the seven in that book. And what it means is they're dead. They're probably in a very hot place right now. But their poison or their doctrine still fills the earth, and people still use it today. When you look at division, that does not come from the church. It's coming from our culture. It's causing a great division and fracturing of our country. There is a spiritual war going on in this country. So when you look on the TV and you say, everybody's against each other. Everyone's at each other's throats. Even COVID. People are at each other's throats over COVID. Everything that can possibly be in the news, there's division over. And what does that come from? It doesn't come from God. The church, listen, we all have various opinions in this church. We have different backgrounds and ethnicities and stuff. And we come together as one body. And that's what the world doesn't have because it doesn't have Christ. Verse 3, she's sitting on a red beast. This we're going to get into more. This you'll see more in the next Sunday. We've covered the seven heads and the ten horns. It's going to be revisited, so we'll talk about that next Sunday. We'll, we'll table that for a minute. But this is an unholy marriage between church and state. Do you realize that in 18, uh, was it 1801, Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptist? And here's the funny thing about today. Everything today is backwards. Today is everything. It's bizarro world. Right is wrong, wrong is right. So some people will say separation of church and state ignorantly. What Jefferson was doing was he was telling the Baptists, the United States is not going to have a state church like Europe did. He wanted to allay their concerns, okay? However, the way our country was founded was that Judeo-Christian values would have a positive influence on the state. So it kind of went in one direction. But people will take that and say, you can't pray in public, you can't pray in school, um, you know, all these different types of things, which in the letter to the Danbury Baptist was never meant to, to portray. And I think knowledge is power when we start to understand these things. So even our founders had a concern with a, a church that ran the country, a state church. We're getting somewhere here. Now, for those of you that we, you've, you've, you've We've been through this um, a few chapters. Where's the false prophet in this? Remember, the false prophet is actually a person that probably exists today just like the Antichrist. 
And the false prophet is somebody who's a sort of spiritual religious person, doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, but he's going to bring all the religions together so they can kind of toe the line with this, this authoritarian globalist movement. And you can see the ecumenism, look that up. So you already see the seeds being sown for this, okay? So, but the harlot and the beast, again, are metaphors. And I actually like the depictions where, where she's actually attractive. And here's the reason. Because the, the harlot has an allure. She has a religious allure. And she's holding a cup with the blood of the martyrs and the saints, but she's got all these precious gems and jewelries. She's attractive. She's alluring. However, when you get into that system, you find it leads to death. Right? Okay. So what happens is, and, and we're going to see this in verse 16. We're not doing it today. Is that when the Antichrist or this globalist movement has finally taken root in the world, it's gonna, it doesn't need the religious part of it. So eventually, in verse 16, she actually, uh, the beast kills her. And we're going to explain what that means. Folks, I know some of this stuff is heavy. If you just walked into this church today for the first time looking for a nice church where we preach about love and puppies and lollipops, you're like, I'm never coming back. These people are wacky. Listen, I didn't write this book. Okay. I'm just telling you what it means. But this is important because when you choose a church, this is so important. When you go on the internet and you go online and you look at and you Christianity and you just look at you could look at dozens of, of YouTube videos and they all say something different. You don't just, you don't pick a religion. Listen, I like the smorgasbord. I like a little bit of seafood, a little bit of steak, and, but I don't choose my faith like that. You know, what suits me? What am I in the mood for? My wife will say, let's go out to dinner. What are you in the mood for? Yeah, and we'll just, depending on the day, we'll come up with different thing, things. But as, as people who are seeking the truth, and I was part of religion for 20-something years, and then I found the truth. But I had all the books. I had all the different holy books of the different religions. And I actually went on a quest to find the truth. I didn't just want to find what I grew up in. Right? People vote like that. Oh, my parents always voted like this, or this one or that one. Can't you think for yourself? When we look at spirituality, we have to, we have to see what is the truth. I would love to listen to sermons all the time with people telling me how wonderful I am. And how I deserve all the best out of life. But that wouldn't be accurate because sometimes I have to deny myself according to the scripture. Right? So that's how we, we look for spirituality. We look for the truth. We don't look for things that tickle our ears. And this is the truth, whether we like it or not. So it's almost like God, and he's always warned his people, whether they were Jewish in the Old Testament or the Christians in the New Testament. God would say basically, and I'm paraphrasing, there's a storm coming, but I'm going to provide you with an umbrella and some slickers where the rest of the world is just going to go out into the storm and this, the sky is going to turn. They're going to get soaked. They might get struck by lightning, metaphorically. Okay. Verse 4, the harlot's attire, purple and scarlet, wealth and power. This was, these were also symbols of the Roman Empire. You could go to, there's a company that makes dyes, purple, black, red, blue, and they all cost the same thing because they've kind of industrialized it. Purple and scarlet back in the day, to make those colors, you had to use things that could have been very rare, like rare plants, dyes, and such. So only wealthy people could have purple and scarlet. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? So the symbolism comes alive in this book. She's adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls. Immense, immense wealth. 
check this out. Why am I talking about Rome? Pastor Joe, you were just on Babylon. Because the, the, the plague and the cancer of Babylon actually got into Rome. The Romans had, the Romans and the Greeks had their pantheon of gods. However, Babylon, false religion, got into Rome. And what happened after Rome died? That sickness got into some of the state church for a time. You see how this stuff is, it's, you know, it's like COVID. Everything's COVID. It's contagious. Well, this is contagious too. False teaching, evil is contagious. Because the human heart wants, wants the path of least resistance. We want stuff. And there's a lot of Christians who love to watch Joel Osteen. Because he basically, t- he, he will make you as selfish as you could possibly be. You demand Repeat it over and over again, and God will give you that house on the cul-de-sac. Is that really what our faith is all about? What happens when hard, hard times hit? There's a lot of lessons in here. So, okay. I'll just, I'm going to touch this and then move out of it, because I, a lot of times when I preach, I'm also preaching to the atheist and the skeptic. And they say, religion has been the cause of so much. And you know what? I agree with them. And they go, what? You're a pastor. Why are you agreeing? First of all, it wasn't my church. I wasn't there back then, but I actually watched this thing on on the History Channel that that showed many of European churches. This is a fact because they have them; they're, they're museums now. It's really kind of macabre if you think about it. So, in many churches, especially during the times of the Inquisitions and the her- heretic trials, and and they show you with the camera, they go and they take a tour. It's torture chambers in the basement of the church. The rack, yeah, that was a real thing. They stretched people. I mean, not like your chiropractor. This is bad news. The pair of anguish. If I told you how some of these things, if, how, how could a, a clergy watch someone being tortured? First of all, Jesus said, I want people to come to me out of love, not out of force. So Jesus never authorized, remember the Nicolaitans from Revelation, he never authorized force, immense wealth, and power in any church that bears his name. So those people that were doing that were not following Christ. But if you look at some of these, uh, the thumb screws, right? And I, I wrote down a list of them. So the Babylon spirit got into the state church for a time and, and some denominations. The harlot was drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs. And sometimes it was at the hands of the powerful church. When you just start killing people or even the Salem witch trials, there's like no women left. Oh, somebody made an accusation. It was a horrible thing that these people did. It was was a common sense and judgment. So, yes, she, she likes the person. Does anybody recognize her? (laughs) She got into whatever she could get into. At times it was government. At times it was politics. At times it was the powerful church at the time. That's what she did, Right? So in her hand is a golden cup filled with abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Again, remember, it's, it's alluring. It's attractive. Verse 5. On her forehead was written, mystery. Jesus told his followers that when they followed him, when we follow him, we know the truth. We, we're studying prophecy. We're studying world events, geopolitics. We know the truth of God's word. We know the mysteries of the Old Testament. However, she's different. On her forehead is written mystery because her followers are kept in the dark. Or they tell you that you need to follow this movement because we have this. Remember the secret came around? That was a big thing. Everybody was following the secret. There's all these fads 
It was quasi-spiritual. Um, Gnosticism. You and cults do this. You follow us. Nobody knows what we know. Well, Jesus is like, listen, I want you to know it, and I want you to share it with other people. But she's different, right? Babylon the Great, mother of harlots and abomination. Understanding that since this is diachronistic, it happens throughout time, she's the source of it all. Again, she's a metaphor. She's a symbol. This is the source of this demonic activity that tries every day to pull the world away from God while pretending to be God. And we see this in the Apostle Paul in Corinthians. He said that Satan comes. Satan's not going to come to you all dripping with mucus and horns and red eyes. And well, who would want to follow that? The Bible says that Satan comes as an angel of light. And we have to have the discernment to know the difference. That's why this is in here. I'll just leave this with you and then I'll move on to the last point is that a brother in the Lord came to me. It was so funny because I was talking about counterfeit money, counterfeit God, right? We'll talk about that. But so he comes into my office. He goes, so you were a police officer for 25 years. I'm like, yep, here it comes. (laughs) So he takes out his wallet and he goes, I got this 20 and I think it looks fake. Now I've gone to calls where I've had counterfeit money, right? It was part of my job. So I He's quiet. I take the the 20 out. I put it up to the light. I'm checking the paper. I'm checking the watermarks, right? I'm looking at all this stuff, and I'm like, this thing's solid, bro. It's just a different series. I said, but if it bothers you that much, because he's like, I don't need to get in trouble with the law. I I took out my wallet. I said, this is an older series, something you're probably more familiar with. I'll switch with you, and I'll use it. Well, I haven't gotten arrested yet. I did use the 20. But it was was solid. Although we would have called the cops, and they would have done an investigation, and he would have been out 20 bucks. But... I understood the counterfeit because I knew the authentic. It's the same thing with God. When you know the authentic, you can spot a counterfeit. And sometimes Christians around you, people in church, will get annoyed with you. Oh, why are you picking on that guy? He, he says such good things on TV because he's a fake. That's why. Well, how do you know you're ju- not judging him? Listen to his words. Then open up your Bible and you tell me if he's not saying something against what Christ said. So, you know, sometimes we take heat when we're pointing out the counterfeit. Most people are duped by the counterfeit. We need to understand this. Understand this as well. That's, you know, a friend of mine, he's, I used to work with him. I love him. He's a Facebook friend. He watches my messages. And he's always, like, countering the, the God thing, right, with aliens and all kinds of stuff. But um, he said, well, the, pagan, the pagans, the Babylonians had a trinity, too, before Jesus. I said, you're, you're reading it wrong, bro. I said, the angelic world, before we knew knew God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit before God the Son came to the earth. So yes, the, Babylon, the Babylonians, right, under the inspiration of Satan, counterfeited the Trinity because that's what Satan doesn't have an original thought. In order to deceive us, he always tries to be as close to God as possible, but he's a fraud. So let's look at this real quick. Is that in the Babylonian cult, um, there was a Trinity, Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. Semiramis, she had a miraculous son, Tammuz. Tammuz is killed and is resurrected back to life. <laughs> you can look it up for yourself. It's a counterfeit, right? And people follow it. All right, verse 6, 3 out of 3. John marvels at the harlot. John is incredulous. I'm showing you a picture that some artist drew, and you can find them all over the Internet. You're like, oh, it's kind of creepy, but Whatever. The Apostle John actually saw this. It probably was large. It probably was moving. 
it probably, I don't know what the heck was going on, but he, he marvels at this thing. He's, 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 she's drunk with the blood of the saints, the martyrs of Jesus. I, I saw her. I marvel with great amazement. He's only human. He's incredulous at this sight. And I think what bothered, and I'm just, this is Pastor Joe's opinion. Why is he so maybe grossed out, maybe aghast? Because she claims to be like God. She claims to be God. She's a false religious system. And John walked with God. So John sees the counterfeit, and he's kind of grossed out that this is going to take place in human history, pretending to be God. So the harlot in comparison, now understand this, the woman... And there's good women and bad women, just like everybody else in the world. Symbolism. Two women that, in the scripture that are bad and two that are good. So the Jezebel spirit obviously is bad. The harlot is obviously bad. But now there's two good women that John can compare her with. And the first one is, in Revelation 12, the woman as the symbol of Israel. She's beautiful. She's pure. Because she's a good symbol. Because God was betrothed to Israel, if you read the Old Testament, in a spiritual sense. In addition to that, in Ephesians 5, you also see another wonderful... And I, I say beauty not because people say, oh, she's gorgeous. I mean that she's just beautiful spiritually, right? Where this one is ghastly. Um, in Ephesians 5, you see the symbol of the bride of Jesus, again, symbolically, being the church. She's beautiful. She's chaste. She's pure. She's kind. She's of good character. So two bad women, two good women. The harlot is one of the bad women. So the harlot and Babylon are inextricably linked and have been here on this planet since sin entered the world. Since since men and women have chosen evil instead of God, chosen sin instead of, you know, a close relationship with the Lord, evil was able to get in there and evil will offer a counter to what God offers. And you, I've met people who said, I don't care what happens when I die. I just want to enjoy everything while I'm here. Wow. What do you got? 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. Some people die an untimely death. That's really a gamble. All of eternity versus a few measly decades here. I've I've told my friends, I, I pity you. I pray for you. I, I, I'm going to keep trying with you because I love you. And I don't want to see you go down this road because that actually used to be me. But God got a hold of my heart. We see this in now, just just so you know, um, even some pictures, some maybe Renaissance pictures. I have to say it, the, the, the saints with the halos. That's all Babylonian stuff. Um, a lot of uh, Ishtar or Easter, some of the Christmas, and we have some people in this church that they're creeped out by it, which I don't blame them, but we try to bring it back to Christ. You know, people will visit, relatives, Christmas play, and we, we put a heavy message of the gospel, of the truth into that. So if they, we only see them once or twice a year, that they get the truth that Christ is the only way. But... The halos, the statues, the, the Roman and Greek pantheons, they spent a lot of money carving men and women out of marble. 
So when Rome was supposedly Christianized by Constantine, they just took Zeus and uh, Hera and Apollo and renamed it Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Luke and Matt. You see what I'm saying? The, the statues were just too expensive. So they kept the same statue. They just renamed them. It was a lot cheaper that way. But we can't be deceived, folks. Yes, we're talking about end times. Yes, we're talking about an unknown amount of years from today. We don't know when this is going to happen. We're not a false teacher, so we don't set dates. But we're also talking about the truth, choosing the truth versus choosing something that makes us feel good as far as a form of spirituality. We're also talking about a spiritual system in place that is currently willing to woo people away from the truth. And there is a schism in the American church. And there's a lot of weirdness that's getting into the church, a lot of watering down, a lot of cultural uh, you know, power plays that have nothing to do with actual Christianity. Marxism is getting into the church. Division, divisive rhetoric. Why? You see a preacher preach divisiveness about people groups? Stay away from that ministry. And some think that they're doing the Lord's work, and they're not. They're not. It's a counterfeit. They've had bad mentors. What if I told you that when the Lord comes for his, his faithful, that some will be left behind? There was a movie, uh, I think Nicolas Cage's brother is a Christian, and the, the, I don't know, the, I read about it. The story goes that he begged Nicolas Cage, his brother, to star and make this movie about the rapture, about a day when the Lord comes for his faithful before all this, this insanity takes place on the earth. And there's one scene that I loved because it's so true. You know, there's these people left behind. And the, the girl whose parents or the mother disappears, she goes to be with the Lord. She's been hearing about the gospel for so long, but she, it never takes. And she's looking for her mother. She ends up in a church and all the people are gone except for the pastor. And he, obviously he's depressed. <laughs> so, so she goes, why are you still here? He said, I, I taught it, but it was, I didn't believe it. It was what he did for a living. There's a lot of people in clergy who teach stuff. You know, I, I read of another uh, ministry, and I, don't, I just don't want to say the name, but the person was an incredible teacher, and it's coming out that he might have done some things for, for a while that were not godly, right? You see scandals, Baptist church, Catholic church, camps. It's just so sick. It really is. Um, how do you actively harm a child and call yourself a man or woman of God? I have a real problem with that. God can't really be in your heart. But so let me reach out to with my buddy, the guy I used to work with, one of my partners, um, and, that, and he'll bring this stuff up. And I'm like, you're just trying. It's a diversion, bro. Let the hypocrites stand before the Lord. And if they are to be judged, let them be judged. However, you seek the truth. Seriously, what are you going to, you're going to go before God and after you die and go, well, there was a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you're going to the same place as them because you rejected me too. Let the hypocrites be where the hypocrites are sent. You go to be with the Lord. Amen. These, you get some of these arguments and after doing this for decades, you're like, yeah, but that defies logic. You're going to be eternally separated from God and you're going to spend eternity with the hypocrites that you hated to begin with. Makes no sense at all. I try a lot of things to get people to come to God. Are you a church member today? Are you part of the Christian culture? There's a huge Christian culture. A lot of people in that culture aren't saved. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? 
the choices and beliefs that you have today will determine where you spend eternity. Because the harlot and Babylon exist today. This passage is the future, but it's also diachronistic. Mystery Babylon is very persuasive and very deceptive. We need to know the authentic in order to not to be deceived by the counterfeit. Do you know the authentic? I'll leave you with this. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. If you want that, and you can have it right now. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.